Religion is one of the central themes of Deep Space Nine. Unlike earlier shows and movies in the Star Trek franchise, which envisioned a future of enlightened atheism and treated faith with skepticism and suspicion, DS9 depicts a variety of religious characters who explore faith in their own ways. From Captain Sisko's gradual embrace of his role as the Bajoran Emissary, to Quark's prayers to the Blessed Exchequer, tonight's episode will explore how DS9 brings religion into Star Trek's humanistic vision of the future. Welcome to Deep Space Dive, a Star Trek DS9 podcast at Graphic Policy Radio. DS9 is the Star Trek with the greatest focus on political concepts like colonialism, feminism, queerness, and post-scarcity economics. Join hosts and guests who aren't just Trekkies, but activists, academics, artists, therapists, and more as we do a deep dive into the text and subtext where few Star Trek podcasts have gone before. On Deep Space Dive, we are not doing episode recaps. We are not going episode by episode. There are plenty of other quality podcasts that do that. Instead, each of our episodes discusses a specific theme or character. Also, because of that format, every episode is full of spoilers. So if you are watching the show for the first time and haven't finished, please finish your binge and then go back and listen to our archives. They will be here waiting. Ah, it's true. But who are we? I am Elon Eleven. I'm also the host of Graphic Policy Radio. I've worked at the intersection of comics, nerd culture, and social change for over a decade. And my biggest Star Trek cred is I gave a speech on fan activism at a rally organized by Lita, a.k.a. Chase Masterson. And you also probably know me a little bit too well from Twitter as E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. And I am Sarah Daniel Rasher. When I'm not getting paid to use math to save the world, I write about film and figure skating. I was the founding captain of my high school Star Trek club, and I and my greatest Star Trek cred is is that I once got Nicole DeBoer to kiss me at a convention. Hey, <laughs> I know, right? I'm like, okay, I'm a little bit out, outranked in that. Um, well, listeners, you may have noticed or intuited perhaps that. Sarah Daniel and I are both Jewish, and we love to bring in guest experts with their own experience and expertise. Who better to opine about the space pope than one of my favorite podcast <laughs> guests, Anthony Oliveria? Hello. Thank you for having me. It is a great pleasure to be here again and to be talking Deep Space Nine, which is one of my favorite things ever. Um, thank you so much for letting me be here. I was so happy when I heard that you liked the show. I was like, what a great confluence of interests. <laughs> oh, yeah. I I mean, I love this. Show. I was very, and I will say off the top to anyone who's listening and down the line is like, this guy doesn't know anything. I was very nervous because I, although I've seen it so many times, it's not fresh in my head. So I'm very appreciative that you sent me a refresher so that I would be uh, good to go. But I love, love, love this show. I've been obsessed with it since I was a kid. Um and I'm so happy that it's still in a form I can watch and binge uh, to this day. Oh, yeah. Well, Sarah put together that record. Anytime anybody gets like a list of what episodes to watch or something from us, it's 100% always put together by Sarah Daniel. It's, oh, like, it was a great a little reminder platter of like the best of. I hit play on the first one and I saw the credit written by Jane Espenson. I was like, oh, yeah, I love this. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Jane so Espenson, for- who I hugged at a convention, although did not get oh. Uh, truly oh. <laughs> one of my favorite writers ever. Ever since I was a kid, I I like put like heroes, Jane Espenson in my like high school list of things. So, uh, oh wow, I, yeah, oh yeah, so, I love her. I've had the pleasure I, of talking wow. to her on Slayer Fest. Um, 
really smart. I actually used a lot of her academic work on linguistics during my own work. Um, and her ear for dialogue is really incredible in all of her episodes and even in these Deep Space Nine episodes, which aren't really... You don't really think of Deep Space Nine as being, like, about witty repartee, but uh, they definitely bring it in that Accession episode. Oh, well, Accession is such a wonderful piece of writing, and we'll get into that one. I feel like as much as, like, we say, like, we're not going episode by episode, a lot of our discussions do sort of hang on one or two episodes that really get at what we're talking about. Mm. And I'm glad that you're, like really into talking about accession because i just you know watched it for the 15th time and hmm. like oh yeah have it... a lot of feelings work gets a funny line in accession. <laughs> <Yeah>. like... <laughs> he's got a great little scene he is truly one of the most underrated comedic yeah. performers in the star trek like michael dorn is just a, a comic genius working under all those prostheses and just like <laughs> he can do so much comedy with just his eyes it's really amazing uh, for our listeners who might not already be aware of his work, I have the short version of the bio, which is that I know him, uh, him, not Michael Dorn, him meaning Anthony. Um, I, know <laughs> I stepped him from... on my own intro. Gosh. <laughs> no, but it was a good segue. And I hadn't thought about her particular. I hadn't known that you guys had like done academic work on on, on her. So th- this is interesting as well. Um, he is uh, the uh, award winning comics writer, including the GLAD Award for Lords of Empire, colon, Emperor Hulkling, <laughs> and his Hulkling and Wicked stories for Marvel's gay issues, like in general, which, and, and the Iceman story, uh, early Thaw, just got everybody in their feelings about oh. Marvel gay superheroes. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Beautiful. And you were on my show not that long ago to talk about the Steven Universe comic you wrote, which included Steven's first Pride Parade. I was, yeah. It feels like it was a lifetime ago because the pandemic has completely distorted my sense of reality. But yeah, I know. Yes. I remember pride parades. Oh my god, we used to go to remember things. hugging um, humans. Yeah. <laughs> there are rumors that Chicago is actually going to go through with the pride parade this year, which is great because it's down the street from me, but not great <laughs> because it means I get to have people over. But yeah, like, remember parades and parties? Yeah, I am living in a real... Strangers? I mean, you want to talk Star Trek, the year of hell, like, many years of hell now. (laughs) We are continuing to be in the year of hell. Um, But exciting news also is that your book Dayspring is coming out. That is true. Yeah, in uh, early 2023, it is... I, I have not gone through like whatever kind of media training they may give you. So I always have trouble figuring out how to pitch it to people. But it is kind of like a retelling of the gospel from the point of view of the beloved disciple. Uh, it is super horny and super gay and super interested in all the questions we're going to talk about today, which is like, what are the stakes of religion? What does it mean to give oneself over to faith? Um do we like a nice pointy hat? Which I think is a major question <laughs> that Star Trek asks again and again. And the answer yes. is always, yes, we do. <laughs> you oh, know, wow. the founders really missed out on just giving themselves pointy hats whenever the Florida were around. Like, yeah, that I helped. truly do feel like they are underdressed as like a, a species. I feel like they need to give me like a full, um, like a Stargate helmet kind of moment, <laughs> you know? I, I live yeah. for a bit more drama. <laughs> we, we, uh, I also am excited about your graphic novel, Apocrypha, which is about queer teens versus the Christian apocalypse, it, which will be a pattern out is emerging. Har- <laughs> a pattern of some kind. Uh, it's been acquired by Harper Teen. 
Um, and if you and if you are on Twitter at all, or if you are perhaps exposed to things that get written on Twitter and shared without their creator's consent mm -hmm. on other platforms, you may know him as Mia Koopa. Um, and he is also the host of the Devil's Party podcast as he reads through the classics of Christian literature, including Milton's poetry and the Gospels through a queer scholarly lens. Yep. All my favorite things. <laughs> Very germane, actually. I was really mm -hmm. struck. Um, as I said, like it, Star Trek really is in my bones. Like I started watching Lower Decks with my boyfriend the other day and I was like, I had to pause every 30 seconds to be like, let me explain the nature of that joke. Uh, but <laughs> but as I said, it's been a minute since I sat with uh, Deep Space Nine and it's funny rewatching it and thinking like, oh, like one of the interesting things about science fiction in general to me is the way that the way we think about science fiction in the West has kind of emerged out of to me, Christian literature. Um, like when we think about, I know that everyone says like Mary Shelley, the first science fiction novel. I don't think Mary Shelley wrote the first science fiction novel, but I do think uh, a woman did write the first science fiction novel, which is uh, Cavendish's The Blazing World, which is literally about going to mm -hmm. a new world. And so I'm interested in the way Christianity shapes the form of a lot of these texts and the way the prophets feel like Milton's God is really fascinating to me. Um, and I'm very excited to dig into this episode. And of course, you're going to oh, hear yeah. the like, totally expected Jewish pushback from us. And a lot oh. of that is going to come not only just from our own backgrounds, but from our continual pointing out of how many of the writers and producers and actors of the show um have Jewish backgrounds. Oh, I sure hope so. Yeah, I want to hear. <laughs> Give me all that, please. Yeah. But at the same time, like we're coming from a culture where any depiction of religion is going to have at least partially uh, a Christian underpinning because mm -hmm. Christianity is so suffused in our culture. And I will try to not make this like a Shakespearean versus Miltonist thing, but oh, <laughs> my, I, <laughs> some of my best friends are Miltonist. I hold I hold your people no ill will, but I did have to sit through a lot of like fifteenth century religious poetry during my uh, mm. during my graduate school career. I had to, you know, the amount of Spencer I had to teach in the oh, name boy. of you know. Yeah, not a great, not a great man. <laughs> uh, pretty good poet, not a good dude. Uh, no, I definitely, I have, I have two of my dissertation chapters were about Shakespeare. You will get no pushback from me for Shakespeareanizing. I mean, one of the great current Shakespeare scholars, Armin Shimmerman, is Quark himself. So, uh, who could be mad about bringing Shakespeare to the table for Deep Space Nine? I hadn't known that about him. I'm... Oh, yeah, he's teaching. He currently teaches Shakespeare. Yeah, I yeah. don't remember which school he's at, but uh, he is he is a prominent Shakespeare scholar. Uh, he finished Deep Space Nine and was like, well, I guess I will teach the bard. I love this. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, so how, how did you first come into DS9 in particular as a as a Trek fan? Oh, um, I. I came into Star Trek in general because uh, I would rush home after school. I went to an all-boys Catholic school in the city, and I would have to take a train back home. And right when I arrived home at, like, 4 p.m., they would be showing Next Generation. 
Um, and so every day after school, I was watching the show in syndication. And then when it was replaced by Touched by an Angel, I just started watching <laughs> that. So if you ever do a Touched by an Angel podcast, let me know. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know. <laughs> but I guess I don't really remember when I started watching Deep Space Nine. I think that as a young kid, I think its aesthetic was so different from the other show that it took me a minute to get into it. I didn't watch it in a serialized form at first. So I really didn't come to it and really come to appreciate it until like a, a real thorough rewatch following a uh, next gen rewatch some years later, really after I had already absorbed like the Ronald D. Moore Battlestar Galactica material. Mm. Um, so I was watching it kind of as the sort of urtext of a lot of post uh, Iraq war uh, material, like seeing mm-hmm. it as kind of the blueprint for shows like that. Um, so it was pretty, it was a later development. I'm embarrassed maybe to say that I loved Voyager more as a kid because I loved Borg stuff. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I do think with a more mature eye, I would, I would have to admit of the three, it is certainly the greater work, I think. I don't know. Well, that's that's a correct conclusion. Yeah. But I I have been enjoying my Voyager watch of recently. So I I hear that. Um, Voyager is better than most of us remember. Like, especially the final seasons. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's, I think its reputation is somewhat worse than it deserves. I do think, um, I do actually kind of think it's interesting to be like, to triangulate between Voyager and Deep Space Nine and uh, sort of the third pylon of like Babylon 5. As, like, the way we got to um, Battlestar Galactica and then kind of Mass Effect and, like, the new kind of way we think of sci-fi now. These kind of uh, UN station-y kind of uh, shows that are interested in critiquing kind of neoliberal projects. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I, love a, I love a Borg moment. I'm very excited about Picard <laughs> this season doing more Borg Queen stuff. The Borg Queen is my favorite thing in like all the fiction. <laughs> so. ah. I um, have not seen the new season yet, but I will. And I did love last season. So we yeah. actually, I should cover that on, I should cover Picard on the podcast at some point in general. And it's a mm. good reminder to do so. Sarah, do you want to, do you want to kick off some of the questions here that you love? Sure, sure. So I, well. also <laughs> I have not seen season two of Picard yet either, because ah. uh, my wife and I are in like a uh, being behind on all of the shows we need to watch. And we just mm. found out there's like, there's a new show on HBO Max that is literally about gay pirates. So we're like, yes. <laughs> we are never going to catch up. We are just, you know, eternally doomed. But so let's uh, start off talking about, like, when we think about religion on Deep Space Nine, we usually think of Bajor and Bajoran religion and mm-hmm. the prophets and um, and also especially Kira but also like the Kai and Vedic system. Um, so, and I've always thought of Bajoran religion as purposely trying to not be Christianity and kind of failing. So I'm curious to see where you, Anthony, perceive mm. the, the Christian and Milton influence in Bajoran religion in particular. Mm, well, that's a 
Well, in turn, then, I want to hear about how Jewish it seems to you folks, because that, to me, also is interesting. Because, like, one of the things... One of the things that interests me about Deep Space Nine in general, and particularly the Bajoran um, religion <laughs> and its sort of relationship to the very real existence of the prophets, the, the wormhole aliens, um, is the way the kind of mechanism of Deep Space Nine as a storytelling uh, landscape is, to me, interested in and designed to critique a lot of the politics of the Roddenberry world that we had seen before that, um, the kind of way, I mean, I don't, I think it's not a surprise to anybody who's followed anything about Gene Roddenberry, like Star Trek in its original form and in next generation was very much about, uh, surpassing religion, right? Like religion mm -hmm. is the kind of superstitious nonsense we must grow past, right? That, yeah. The opioid of the masses. It's exactly. <laughs> um, and that was very much Roddenberry's opinion, too, right? Like, there's obviously, especially the original series couldn't really be like, Christianity is for suckers, but it <laughs> it definitely it was like, it got as close to that line as it could. Um, and I do think a lot of Deep Space Nine's furniture is designed to critique the limits of that, and actually to speak specifically to the colonial aspects of that, the way in a kind of Charles Taylorish way that secularism, as we conceive of it, is very often an attempt for a kind of post-Protestant Christianity to pretend it is unmarked, um, to pretend that its values are somehow neutral and not um, just like it, it becomes more obvious in Taylor's case, like in the way it manifests in Quebec, for example, where it's like, well, we're a secular state, you can't wear your hijab, your crucifix is fine, right? Um, and what I like about Deep Space Nine is the way it is designed to suggest the Federation is really a crock of shit, right? Like that it's games of pretending um, that religion is surpassed are actually huge lies and it's interest in saying that religion and culture are actually more inseparable than they seem um i always think about ensign roe being yelled at by Riker for wearing her earring um that she's out of uniform right um in what ways are the the federation uniform is itself shaped by cultural forces right yeah uh, and what's cool about the bajorans are they are on the cusp of joining this federation and are thinking about the extent to which their religion and their culture are blockages to joining the federation, are blockages to the kind of assimilation project that uh, the federation represents. And what I love about Deep Space Nine is from its first moment, it's thinking about that. Because the first thing we see is Cisco's family destroyed by the Borg, right? Locutus ruins his life. Um, the hero of Next Generation becomes this kind of arch-colonialist assimilating villain at the beginning of Deep Space Nine. And that's how Kira thinks about the Federation, right? Like, we finally went, won our freedom and here you are. That great speech she gives to Bashir where um, he's like, I, I wanted a job on the wilderness. She's like, the wil that wilderness <laughs> is my home, right? Like, uh, I love that. And I love the way this this series is thinking very seriously about that. Yeah. One of the big, like, running jokes in sort of online Star Trek fandom that has existed for as long as I've been in it, which is basically as long as the internet, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> is, like, deep space compared to what? And that, you're right, that's very exactly, tied yeah. 
to sort of that like colonial faux secularism. And the other thing you were making me think of is literally every episode I rewatched for this podcast, this podcast episode um, that was very religion focused also had at least one conversation where they were talking about how it was going to affect um, Beijing or joining the, for- the Federation. I think, and again, like the question, and we talk about this a lot on my podcast because we're reading the Gospel of John right now. And John is a very, for the, your listeners who don't know, the writer of the Gospel of John, whoever they were, we know that they were very Jewish. Like they know a lot about Jewish practice. They know really a great deal of minutia about the layout of Jerusalem, for example, about what Jesus would have to do at Sukkot and all that sort of stuff, where the pool of Siloam is, where Bethesda is. In fact, we still to this day find things that confirm things in the Gospel of John about ancient Jerusalem. Um, And yet it is very often the source for a lot of the anti-Semitic material that Christianity has hurled at Jewish culture since, because John is engaged in a sectarian fight with um, his current, like, the synagogues of his own day and the figures he he keeps insisting and demonizing as the Pharisees. Um, And what's interesting is you can, I always call it the Velcro of that, because you can feel the author trying to pry apart culture from religion. Is there a way to think about your upbringing, your practices, your rituals as separable from your religious beliefs? And what's cool about Bejor as it's conceived is how impossible to do that it is, right? Um, in positive figures like Kira and in negative figures like Kai Wynn, who is this sort of completely venal political figure using always the language of religion to get what she wants. Um, or, or even like... Um, I mentioned that we see very few secular Bajorans, but the mm-hmm. one that is e- most re- readily brought up is really Odo, who was raised yeah. in Bajoran culture and looking at how he does secularism in a way that's very defiant, um, that that's um, dismissive in a way that, like, you see from, like, people who have left religious communities and have a chip on their shoulder. Right. And like the contrast between that and how Cisco does Bajoran religion in a very Federation way where he's like, I'm going to do research and I'm going to like put, <laughs> put, you know, put this obelisk on the holodeck so that I can like find the ancient culture and I'm going to build flying <laughs> ships to honor Bajoran history. And it's like, he's definitely got that sense of like wonder mm-hmm. and, gradual very genuine buy-in to the faith but he's doing it in a way that's coming directly out of his old own culture and is very alien in a way that's kind of delightful yeah Mm. that's a great way of explaining it too you know when first coming into watching this show um one of the things that i was really impressed by was how clearly it understood religious leadership to be a political decision mm-hmm. and like how refreshing it was in so many shows the decision of who should the next kai be would have been completely based on like well my god says this right <laughs> this was like no no we know that this is politicking and you know like it, 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 to have a show that acknowledged that these religious decisions were political um felt very uh, smart to me <laughs> yeah um 
and the power struggles within the church slash, I guess, whatever. It's not called the ch- Within the faith of of, of Bajor. Oh, how interesting. I've never really thought about that they don't really use the word church, do they? Ever. No. Really. Yeah. no. I don't know what they... They talk That's about, like, so the Vedic Council and things like that, but they don't... They they talk about they don't talk about it as like a monolith. It's almost like Bajoran religion is so deeply ingrained that it just is. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's one religion for the entire planet, which you know, like as humans, we're like that's that doesn't happen. Um, <laughs> like that. So that must be right. Like if you're on a planet and that is the and there's only one religion, then you don't have a need for the name of church. It's right. So th- this right. is hmm. yeah. They're just services, right? They're just kind of yeah. That's true, um, and that's the way in which they're the least Jewish, is because you can't have two like three. What is it like two people arguing over which of the remaining two shuls <laughs> is the appropriate one to attend? Um, so yeah, that that's kind of. Um, Does it that strike you in any other major ways as? as particularly Jewish as thinking the Bajoran religion does not feel very Jewish. It, not at all. it draws a lot from sort of outsider perceptions of Hinduism. And I'm saying mm. that really carefully because I know that on the off chance that my, that a certain friend of mine listens to this, that like she would be very quick to point out that like, there's a big difference between Hinduism as practiced and Hinduism as colonizing Imagined. white people think it's practiced. <laughs> right. But like yeah. the stuff with the castes and the and a lot of the sort of character and window dressing of a lot of the celebrations have mm. a lot, seem to have a lot of South Asian influence. Um, but um, a lot of the things that like um, Alana and I think of as being um sort of quintessentially jewish and we talked about this in an early episode about wharf too that we see a lot more jewishness in like klingon culture and Mm. of course in complicated and problematic and sometimes really satisfying ways with ferengi culture but bajoran religion doesn't really seem to draw on judaism as much at least um only by like contrast to me, the thing that I identified with, and this is sort of jumping ahead to an- another point, but like to me, like as a viewer, what I identified with with the show's portrayal of Bajoran religion was the fact that it felt like the first time I'd seen a science fiction show that had a religion that was egalitarian in terms of gender, mm-hmm. and that there were people who believed in it who also believed in science, and that there are people who had positions of power who were women, and all of that is coherent with like the progressive Jewish synagogue communities in which I was raised that were completely normal to me and that are incredibly common in America. And so much science fiction felt like it was sort of driven by this atheism that's hostile to because just because look, just because your some you know hypothetical author had an oppressive experience of Christianity doesn't mean that everybody has an oppressive mm-hmm. experience of mm-hmm. religion. Just because your religion is backwards and right wing. Some of us had lesbian chazans, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So for like, so for me to then see like a religious show in which there were characters who were like progressive minded and women who were religious leaders and stuff like that, I was like, yeah, that's normal to me. But I, that also was something that I imagine a Unitarian or like from um, someone from a progressive Episcopal, like, you know, like there's, there's, there's Christian churches that are like that too, mm-hmm. you know, but it was so nice for me to see that. 
and to not have um, religion pitted as the opposite of science all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, from my outside perspective, one of the things that does seem Jewish about Bajoran religion as opposed to particularly Catholic, uh, and in, in many ways this also makes it kind of oddly Protestant, even though its structure is quite Catholicized, is the insistence on the text like as source of meaning. Mm-hmm. That is a very un-Catholic impulse. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> they're constantly on this show looking for texts and reading the prophets and thinking about what it means that this text says that. And like Cisco is like trying to decode markings. That's like, that is a very, like a cardinal will tell you they'll explain it to you. A bishop will rely on the magisterium. I'm interested in um, the 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 comparison of drawing Bajor next to Hinduism because then you get to think about the way that the Cardassian occupation is like the British Raj. Yes, which uh, is a lot of our take on... We very... One of the things that Sarah and I assert in our, some of our Cardassian focus coverage is that we like think that the particular form of fascism that is mm. displayed by the Cardassians is much more similar to British and American. Yeah. And, and also and specifically. on the flip side, like Ducat's sort of um, fetishization of their culture, right? As a yep. thing he can pillage <laughs> and as a thing he can dress up as in a lot of ways. Uh, yes. And as a thing that yeah. he can decide he is the messiah of. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So it really does dovetail like that for us. But I think that's a really interesting point in terms of the focus on interpreting the text. That just sort of like, I don't know, for me, that's sort of like, but that's what religion does, right? I guess. Well, not everything, I guess. Hmm. That's interesting. It's interesting to draw that distinction from Catholicism, but I feel like so much of what, of how texts are used by the Bajorans is to like predict Mm -hmm. And to, like, figure out what's going to happen or what's supposed to be happening or what the prophets want, where I feel like um, Jewish use of text is very presentist. It's Mm -hmm. very, like, what are the rules? How are we supposed to do this? Are giraffes kosher? Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Can you use a dragon as a Shabbos goy? Um, Kind of like, um, you know, it's... Um, there's a sort of sense, and I think even in very, in much more orthodox strands of Judaism to say, like, they, like, none of this is the purpose, none of this is the purpose's revelation or prediction. It's all to tell you how to live your life now. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So there are times when, um, the approach to Bajoran texts is that. But they're very focused on prophecy and very focused right. on the future in a way that's different, I think, from most experiences. Of- no, it's true. Like, anytime you hear somebody trying to predict something based on the Torah, you know that person's not Jewish. That's some goyish stuff. <laughs> Always. Yeah. I'm like, no, nobody's playing with that. No, no morality. That's just not, no. Right. I did like, I particularly liked in the sample episodes, um, we all watched the Accession one, um, for those of you who don't remember, is an episode where the the wormhole like vomits back at this moment <laughs> where Cisco, at this moment where Cisco is like, gosh, like, it might be nice not to be the emissary. The wormhole like spits out a dude who got swallowed by it 200 years ago and 
is a better fit to be the emissary is a Bajoran poet, importantly a poet, who has now returned um, and starts to lead Bajor into kind of a reformist, um, conservative direction. He wants to reinstitute the caste system, the Dajaras that used to separate before the occupation, um, the societies. And I really liked uh, that the text positions his status as sort of the celebrated poet as the reason he would be so accepted. Um, I like mm. I like that idea a lot. I, I've been thinking about Eric Auerbach, who said, uh, obviously a Jewish uh, scholar uh, during World War II writing in Turkey, sort of thinking about um, what do we do now that the West is over? Uh, thinking about how he, he has a great statement. I wish I could remember the exact wording where he talks about how the God of Judaism is almost a product of its literary tradition. Like it is a concept Judaism invents as a response to its own relationship to language as speech act, as creationary event. Um, And I really like the way the prophets kind of reflect that as sort of this, even, even in calling your gods, the prophets, like the thing that speaks is the God. I really like that. I mean, one of the questions that I I, I have is like, it's so interesting that when you have somebody coming from the past, like what is the first thing that they want to change is like to reinstate the old oppressive social order. Right. Like on the, so you're sort of like, well, of course that's how someone would be, but like, is it necessarily, is everyone from the past is their first urge to try to reinstate an oppressive social order? I, I don't know. It's, and a lot of it, like his first like expression of disgust is in discovering that Kira, who we learn is actually of one of the higher castes, mm-hmm. has lowered herself to become a soldier out of necessity. And like that's where he starts to perceive that that, that the new social order is wrong, not from people of low caste trying to raise themselves up, but of someone like Kira, um abandoning like a higher mm-hmm. calling and Her in calling this culture statues the yeah. artist cast <laughs> oh is like way up there <laughs> which um, is also nice that's to hear. interesting yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's interesting it's right yeah that is when he has that reaction yeah it's always uh i mean i always as a kid was like wouldn't it be cool to like show shakespeare our present day and it's like the last thing you'd want is to find out he's kind of a dick you know <laughs> 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 yeah um, yeah but I don't know if that represents like just general an assumption that anybody from the past is going to be retrograde or I don't know, maybe I'm thinking too much about what was an offhanded decision to create conflict in the story, but. Yeah, I, hmm. it's an interesting, it's a weird, I don't know. I want to think about that. I'm trying to think, I'm, I'm racking my brain to think of like, do we meet any people from the past in Star Trek who are like, rad rad folks <laughs> i don't know is it always an atavistic instinct well we uh, do meet people from less developed cultures like i'm thinking of the the episode first contact which is not the movie first contact mm-hmm. where there's the one woman who's like oh yay luxury space communism i want it and then the rest of her planet is like nope nope, we are going to be isolationist. Um, Or like Saru on Discovery who leaves his planet behind completely because he's the only one who's ready for the future in a lot of ways. So we don't necessarily 
get a lot of like time travel for that, but we get mm-hmm. a lot of like like sort of cross-cultural travel. Yeah, it's true. They've never done... It would be kind of neat to have a human who was time-displaced as a crew member. That would be fun. Um, Mm. Yeah, even Ensign Rowe in her initial appearances, right? Like, that is kind of the point of her character on Next Generation, right? It's thinking about the same things that Bajor as a concept is meant to think about. Actually, it's kind of in parallel to Worf's sash that he wears, um... Her earring is meant to signify in the same way. Actually, it's funny. I was just watching the first episode of Lower Decks, uh, and there's a just a flash of uh, a background shot where you see a human character in a Starfleet uniform wearing um, uh, a turban, and I was like, "Oh, we had so where there are Sikh members of Starfleet. Like that's actually interesting to know, and that's in- interesting that the show has now progressed to a point where it's like, yeah, uh, that character would be allowed to wear his turban, right? Like that seems." Um, I don't know if you, if Roddenberry would have let that happen, right? Nope, not because he's a bigot, you know, like, like we need to be honest about that, right? So yeah, that is a sign of progress away from an anti-religious position. Um, yeah, I, you know, one of the, the things that struck me as we were, as we were doing the watch for preparing for this episode was how much of the conversations that the characters are having in those episodes are about faith and having faith. And that's just like... I never even think about that, but it's such a big thing for the vast majority of people who have any kind of religion. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, no, that's a thing. Um, I, I was thinking about, you know, you see so much of Kara's very personal faith. Um, and in I love in the hands of the prophet, she says, I envied Kai Wynn because she's a true believer. I wanted my faith to be as strong as hers. But then she also questions whether Kai Wynn is really a person of faith or if she's just political machinations. Mm-hmm. Um and like, is, you know, does she, is she believing what she's saying? And I, you know, I, um, and you can also, somebody could argue that doesn't matter, but I think it's interesting. And certainly, you know, I, like, she tries to explain faith to, um, to Odo. And she basically, was it Thomas Aquinas basically paraphrases him, like, <laughs> yeah, where was that? The is this an accession? Uh, that's the thing about faith. If you have it, you can't understand it, and if you do, mm-hmm. no explanation is necessary. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was uh, like, "What a quote!" And Frank's like, "I think that's Thomas Aquinas." I'm yeah. like, "Okay." <laughs> yeah. And it but Kira doesn't credit sort of him. Larger, wonderful question of like, what kind of faith is really strongest—the faith that is just sort of unquestioning and unwavering, or faith like Kira's, where she's constantly questioning and reaffirming for herself as much as she said no explanation is necessary she is constantly explaining her own faith to herself and sort of holding intention right like that's because that's what the nature of odo's question is right like Mm -hmm. i thought you believed cisco was the emissary now you're saying this guy's the emissary how can they both be right and actually it's funny because that same question came back um in covenant the episode where gal dukat is now leading that Pa Wraith cult. Um, mm-hmm. And she says very specifically to her old Vedic, who's like, uh, you believe what... He's, he's like trying to be, you know, a good neoliberal about it. Like, you believe what you believe, I believe what I believe. Can't we just both have our beliefs? And Kira's response is, well, we can't both be right. Um And that is kind of the big question of secularism, right? Is like, we all have these absolute truths that we're holding as absolute truths. Can they be held in tension? And I really like the way the show, 
actually, it's really fun rewatching it now and seeing the way Ducat really is made to be the flip side of Cisco in like really thoroughgoing ways. Like I kept thinking about actually the way he's almost, um, he's almost St. Paul, right? Like he is the person who was persecuting you. Who's now like, actually I'm the head of your faith now. Isn't that cool? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, is it cool? (laughs) I don't know how I feel about that. Actually. Uh, a great character and a great way to bring that conversation to the table of like, well, look at the dangers of faith that is quite a lot like Kira's. I like that her old Vedic is actually a person of integrity who truly believes the Pa Wraiths are a more active god that they could actually get something out of, whereas the prophets have been so standoffish all this time. Yeah, and we do like we do see a lot of faith with integrity. And I like that, that mm-hmm. while there's certainly Kai wins who are really <laughs> in it for themselves, although there's also moments where she expresses, like, in her way, her faith is very strong. And, mm-hmm. like, her faith itself isn't political. She just uses all kinds of political means to advance herself because her faith is tied in with power. I find her so amazing. I think she really is one of the best characters on the show, Um, precisely because of what you just mentioned, this sort of like, in a world where everyone around her is actually talking to gods, she is having the real spiritual experience of being like, I guess I'm doing my best. (laughs) I guess this is right. I sure wish they would talk to me, but clearly they're not. I'm just going to do my best with it. And um, even though she's entirely self-serving, even though she is entirely Machiavellian, she is, I think, a true believer until the moment where she just has her crisis at the end and is just like, I shed a lifetime of hypocrisy, (laughs) she says. Uh, And I think it's sad that she comes to that final conclusion that she has lived a life in service of something she didn't really feel in her heart, um, but genuinely tried to live out. I find that is actually a really interesting faith journey to depict on screen. And the more that we're talking about this, the more I'm thinking about faith journeys that aren't depicted as faith journeys and how like Odo, as much as he's like this cynical secularist, has absolute faith in his sort of ethical structure mm-hmm. and like Bashir's like unwavering faith in science will fix it. Um, like I'm thinking of Rapture, which is one of the other ones I just rewatched, which is the one where um, Cisco starts having visions. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, and there's a point where Bashir looks at him and he's like, either you have the surgery and you live or you don't have the surgery and you die and just the way the whole episode is constructed, um, my feeling kept being like, are you real sure of that, Julian? Um, mm-hmm. And mm. another one that I put on the list, which is uh, which is Bic, where if something goes wrong in his life, you can literally call his creator. Yeah. Well, I mean, also, the, the flip side of the Odo thing you just mentioned is like, he is this sort of thoroughgoing atheist, and he is also the god of a different culture, right? Like, he does yeah, eventually have I, to deal with the fact that the founders are, for many cultures in the Gamma Quadrant, gods. Um, and that I'm is a great temptation a... for him. Oh, so mm-hmm. go ahead. No, I was going to say, I'm throwing out a question from one of our listeners that I think fits in really perfectly here. Matt asked, 
Wei Yun Five's gods are all around him, guiding his endeavors. <laughs> Kai Win's gods never answer her prayers. I mean, that's, you could say they did because they freed Card, they freed from Gardesia. But like, I get what he's saying. They certainly they don't talk to her directly. They never answer her questions. Yet she believes the gods are still there. What other things are different, and what are similar between these two quote unquote servants who play with words? Hmm. And I really yeah, think it's interesting to look at Wei Yun Five and Kai Win as comparing to each other, because, like, yeah, yeah. I think well, one way they're different is that Wei Yun Five is having a hell of a time, right? Like he is having a ball. <laughs> <laughs> like the job satisfaction is high for him. The gods walk amongst them, and he is their good and faithful servant. He really is kind of the embodiment of that philosophy, right? Like he is very happy to serve. He is happy to be a minor functionary in a greater design. Um, and his death does not seem to really particularly bother him because there'll just be another one around the corner, right? Um, well, he does get really sad when they des- when he finds out they get rid of the entire factory that would have produced other Wayun Fives. That is very sad. That makes me really sad. Poor guy. <laughs> that is, that is really kind of I'm really charmed by him. I don't know if it's just because yeah. it's Jeffrey Coombs or what. That speech he has about like the uplifting of their species where they were just like these berry yeah. eating creatures and the, the founders made like this miraculous new life for them. I find that very touching as a speech. But yeah, like Star Trek is amazing in this show because you have actual gods or pe- people, various aliens who other aliens consider to be gods walk amongst them. And then, you know, you have the tension between like, are these the wormhole aliens um, like, what are we calling these things that other people consider to be gods? And you have some people who are able to talk to and hear from them and others who might be believers who don't mm-hmm. actually get to hear from them. Yeah, I, I was, again, I mentioned this right off the top, the like, what's Miltonic and interesting to me about the prophets is the way that the particular problem they represent is a being that does not experience time linearly, that you have to explain past present and future to them and it's not really clear they ever quite get it and that to me there's like a straight line between the wormhole and milton's god who like whenever he speaks has to shift verb tenses mid-sentence three or four times like he watches satan fall and is like he will he will pervert and shall pervert like he he recognizes um I'm just generally interested in characters for whom cause and effect are not necessarily in relationship to each other. And I kind of like, in that respect, the prophets are gods in a very classical sense, right? They can put their scale on linear history wherever they want to and perceive what its effect will be. Um, What I like about them is their insistence that they are of Bajor, right? That that over and over again, they say, we are of Bajor, um, in that their relationship is entirely localized, right? You mentioned the thing about Deep Space Nine, Deep Space in relationship to what? I like the way at the end of the pilot, suddenly Bajor is the single most important planet in the Alpha Quadrant. Um, And that is because the prophets have decided to sort of descend into history in this very real, perceptible way. Um, And everybody around them has to now deal with the fact that the gods walk among us again, right? Like, that's really cool. And it's interesting, too, in that, like, one of the central um, tenets of a lot of religions is, like, the believers are chosen in some way as the center of the, of the, center of the world, the center of the universe. And what happens when not only 
does someone witness your God saying, you, Bajor, are the center of the universe, but then, like, interplanetary politics back right. up that <laughs> assertion. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's, I mean, and, and Bajor, I mean, we were just talking about the sort of Cardassia as Raj. Like, Bajor is a place that has been strip mined, right? Like their ore has been stolen. The Cardassians have taken everything of value. Uh, and now a very real material value has reasserted itself, which is like now they are a gate to the the Gamma Quadrant, right? Like they are an, a, a trade route all of a sudden. And all these other cultures have to scurry to pretend to care about their religious values for this very like material capitalist gain, right? Um I love the way the series keeps insisting that the Federation is deeply uncomfortable with Cisco being the emissary, uh, but they insist he play along with it because it's useful to bringing Bajor into the Federation, which is, of course, at first just kind of Picard's pet project and then becomes one of the major focal points of like the Federation's military strategy, right? What What do we think of like the you know, the whole concept of, like, people who are in direct relation with those that they believe to be God. Like, you know, to me, I'm all like, that sounds like some science fiction craziness. I guess there's people <laughs> who really do believe that that's a thing. I'm like, I don't know, but I, I guess that's a do. But it's so it's so interesting that this is the Star Trek in which you have two groups of people. I mean, I think that the changelings are pretty clear that they're like, we're we're not actually God. We're just mm-hmm. fucking with you for power. But the, the prophets don't have that same vibe they don't, I don't know, I guess it sort of does bring me to another listener question, actually, mm. about their role. Um, frequent graphic policy guest slash last lapsed Catholic and token Italian-American, John Arminio asks about the wormhole gods. What are their motivations? Why does Cisco go along with their plotting and abandon his family to go chill with them in the finale? Why doesn't the show ever admonish the wormhole aliens for constantly interfering with the development of Bajor for reasons they never make clear? Should we, the viewers, be on their side because Cisco was going along with their plan to be the emissary? I feel like the show does admonish them. I feel like it admonishes them through Jake, especially, Mm. that whenever Mm. stuff really goes wacky with the prophets, Jake is right there saying, Dad, really? Right. <laughs> um, and um, there's something both very sweet about it, but also like, hey, listen to the kid about it. Yeah. And I, it's notable, right, that the Pa Wraiths use Jake as their their vessel, right, when they're fighting Kira in that Reckoning episode. Like, he is the critic of the prophets and embodies their kind of cosmic critics in the Pa Wraiths. Um yeah, I think that question is really interesting because it's one of the questions about religion is um, to what extent does the religious, the the mystical experience trump the ethical experience, right? This is like, to me, pure Kierkegaard. I talk about this a lot on the <laughs> podcast. Like the quest, Kierkegaard has a lot to say about um, Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac, right? God says, kill me a son and you must do it, even though it is in direct contradiction to every ethical imperative right because it is the command of god like 
uh, when when something that is beyond the ethical makes a demand, you have no choice, good or ill, but do it. And the show is thinking about that. Like, I think this goes to the question of, like, how are we supposed to feel about him abandoning his family? Jake is a kind of Isaac figure, right? Yeah. He is the thing that Cisco gives up to serve this god. Um, he, I, yeah, go ahead. He's also a secular prophet figure. He's a writer. He's a uh-huh. writer who in The Visitor, it's sort of set up that he write, he's like sort of destined almost to write this novel that like it inspires an ent- entire generation that um, he's this like truth telling journalist. So it's interesting to see him fitting into sort of those religious um, schemas. Yeah. And um, it is exactly the question of intervention that sort of obsesses the when we do get the quite late reveal of the idea of the paw wraiths, which is like a more shifts their religion in kind of a more Zoroastrian direction. But mm-hmm. the reason they fall is because they want the, the narrative we're given that is never actually really contradicted is that the Pa Wraiths wanted to play a more direct role in Bajoran history. They wanted to save Bajor um, ostensibly, and that's why they're cast out of the wormhole and sort of forced into time, right? Um, which is really interesting if you think about it from a Christian perspective, where, like, because that's kind of what the sun does, right? Like, there's a lot of kind of Gnostic versions of Christianity where the sun becomes the sort of avatar of wisdom, even in some like Ophitic versions, like the sun becomes the serpent here to lure us away from the bad demiurge, right? Who gives Are us we talking the about the S-O-N or the S-U-N? Uh, S-O-N, sorry. Okay. <laughs> Just you said Zoroastrian and I'm like, well, okay, keep going. Yeah, like I'm interested in the way that, like, yeah, I agree with the question that like there is a question of like, well, what business do the prophets have I mean, in Federation terms, violating the prime directive, right? And influencing <laughs> Bajor in this way. And yet their great enemies are much more active influencers of that culture. To which I don't think the show gives an answer, right? Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I feel about Cisco at the end of this. Something that didn't hit me until this watching of the of the one where he has the, the pro- where Cisco has the prophecy from the tablets is that like, the prophecy, the warning about the lo- the vision he has about like the locusts coming and going past Bajor and going to Cardassia, like that's true. Like that is the Dominion coming and skipping over Bajor because Bajor didn't join the Federation yet at that moment. And like, I don't think I had quite appreciated that 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 prophetic vision was like literally actually useful, helpful information. Yeah, it's I like that the way I like the way the show always gives you the science and then is like and and it's a spiritual vision, right? Like his like I don't even know, the techno babble. His neutrino peptides are out of balance or whatever. <laughs> and yet he has like it reminded me that episode of like trepanning, you know, like if I cut this hole in my head, I can hear the angels and it's like I guess. <laughs> but, and like that's just a different way of conceiving of these like spiritual technologies, right? Like so much of a lot of earth culture is about like you get high on this and you can talk to the gods and like how much of like even Christian like wrapped like evangelical Christianity like going into these trances and like experiencing glossolalia and all these things like it has real measurable medical effects on the body 
and yet also maybe to believers has this kind of spiritual dimension. This is actually reminding me of the trill, um, which is um, a has a very sort of metaphysical, like we don't know how any of this works. It just sort of <laughs> does aspect to it and is very ritualistic and is very like, I feel like the trill sometimes are sort of the avatars of spiritual, not religious. And mm-hmm. it's sort of the flip side where they perceive all of this like, oh, we're just going to take this past life out of your body and put it in your body and it's all going to be fine and it all works. And it's all science. Trust us. It's really science. Um, <laughs> and is like the least explained thing on the entire show, but is presented in this very like we don't perceive they don't perceive what they're doing as religion per se. But when you look at it from far enough outside, it's like, how does any of this work? Right. (laughs) Like, do we just not talk about the fact that there is an underlying structure to it? Or do we really just not know how this works, but accept it as part of the workings of the universe? Yeah, it, I mean, this takes us into, I mean, there's... There's ways that Star Trek defines itself against a lot of, like, like Doctor Who, for example, right? Where it's like, he's just a wizard, and, like, we'll make up some science babble, but he can just kind of do whatever we want him to do. Star Trek is always like, there is an explanation. How much we can perceive it is not really clear. And, like, the edges of this are characters like Q, right? Where it's like, well, he's just kind of a Mr. Mitzies Pitalik, but... There's a science, presumably, to the collective, right? Like, we don't know what it is, but if we did, we would have to be a cue to understand it. Um, And these are just technologies for understanding the world. And I like the way Deep Space Nine, against Next Generation, kind of lets these things sit in tension. Whereas, like, there's that episode of Next Generation where that... um, there's like that that like charlatan god, right? Who's like pretending to be like the Klingon devil and all those things to like shake down this culture and like get real material payment out of them. And Picard goes out of his way to like unmask her. Um, whereas Deep Space Nine is more interested in letting... They, you can call them the wormhole aliens or you can call them the prophets. They're not going to take offense either way because they don't care, right? This sort of brings me to a question that I had put on our list because I love that you brought up Q, um, which is on both The Next Generation and Voyager. There's a lot of Q and Q works as this just sort of like embodiment of any sufficiently advanced technologies indistinguishable from magic. And Mm -hmm. like that is a totally acceptable premise in both Next Generation and Voyager. But for some reason... Q makes no sense on Deep Space Nine, and I was wondering (laughs) if you had some insight into exactly why Q is such a poor fit for this particular (laughs) Uh, I have a few thoughts. One of them, I think, is that, I mean, one of them is that Q and Cisco are both critiques of Picard, and so... They're actually much closer in character to each other than they are to Picard. <laughs> like, I know that Cisco punches mm-hmm. Q in the face. I actually think they could kind of get along. They both kind of have a kind of mercurial. Like, I love Cisco's sense of humor because I don't always understand it. Like, he's often smirking at something that he finds funny that I'm not sure quite what it is that is amusing him that I think would actually play to Q. Um, 
as a character, but it goes to the thing I was just saying, which is like, I think Cisco is much more interested as a searcher into spirituality than Picard is. Picard has to understand it. Picard has to be master and commander of his own ship. And I think Cisco can kind of, he knows how to ride the wave in a mm-hmm. way that I think Q would understand. Also, the flip side is that, I mean, Q is such an obvious representation of Picard's repressed homosexuality. Cisco doesn't yeah. have that, so it doesn't really fly. Like, <laughs> there's no, <laughs> there's no frisson of that. So Q's like, oh, this is no fun. I'm going to go like, pinch Picard's butt again like and off he goes <laughs> yeah yeah my my impression of Cisco's response to Q is really just like I you know eat bigger problems than you for breakfast exactly like, you're just you know you're just annoying like yeah I can I've, literally I have... <laughs> ignore you and you'll go away he has much more dignified gods to deal with than Q mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, I mean, that great. would be a fun scene, actually, is the prophets versus Q. I don't think Q would get the better of that scene, but because um, they they just sort of, they just vibe. <laughs> Q <laughs> can't relax. He shares that with Picard and with Janeway, too, right? Like, that's, yeah. whole, that's Janeway's whole thing is, like, she has arrived in the Delta Quadrant, which is because of the sort of... Um, ubiquitous Borg presence is sort of technologically depressed and therefore the Voyager is like this godship that the Kazon and the Vidians are constantly trying to get their hands on and Janeway moves through the Delta Quadrant as a kind of goddess right like she is always the most powerful ship in every encounter she always has to keep this replicator technology out of people's hands and that's how Mm. she's like Q right and that's where their relationship sort of spins out of um and again, like there's a sexual tension there that Cisco just does not have with John Delancey. That's a great insight about about uh, Voyager. Thank you. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah it's kind of like character too. I do think so. I was I, like, I, yeah, I, like somehow, who is heterosexual on Star Trek? <laughs> or on Deep Space Nine, at least Cisco. Cisco. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm not usually be... a proponent of like straight characters, but Cisco is a very straight character, right? Like so, that he's yeah. such a he's such a dad, like he I can't think of a single his male like his closest male friend is like Curzon, right? Like there's a, yeah. there's something about that that I find actually in its own way quite charming. Um, oh, totally. Yeah. He's like the the heter the heterosexual. It's wild. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing it would be a shame to not kind of get your thoughts talking about the religious structure of the Vedic assembly and the pull and push between faith and literal corruption mm. that we see, um, and the politicking in the selection of religious leadership and stuff like that that we get to see play out. Yeah, in the series. I, I'm obsessed. As I said, like Kai Win is really one of my favorites. Um, I love, I love all the, like, Vedic Burial stuff and, like, her, her really vicious attempt to destroy his career so that she can ascend to the Kai ship. Um, I think, and I think what it does, what feels very Catholic about it to me, um, is simul- I feel really focalized through Kira in this, where it's like, you have this very sincere expression of faith through which is lensed this kind of hierarchy. And yet you are constantly aware of the like, 
deep, profound insufficiency and corruption of that hierarchy. That to me feels very Catholic. And Kaiwin is a very familiar figure to me. That's sort of I love the way every one of her lines has two meanings, the sickly sweet one and the dagger that's in it. That was every nun and priest I grew up with. <laughs> so, mm, <yeah. laughs> that to me feels very familiar. I um, feel like the religious leaders, um, the Bajoran religious leaders do all sort of come out of like um, Christian religious figure central casting. Like as much as <laughs> as much as I am one of the foremost burial apologists, I fully admit that he is Same. he is basically a youth pastor. Yes, high yes. real youth pastor energy. Oh my god, yeah, exactly. But he's he's like totally mainline Protestant. Yeah, he reads as she Wynne is very like Orthodox Catholic, and he's the one who's here to like, let's be friends. Like he actually kind of has a he has the kind of vibe that Pope Francis seemed like he was going to have when he came in. Like, um, <laughs> Wynne is very Ratzinger. Like, she's very Benedict, yes. right? Like, this sort of, like, yeah. let's go back to the Latin mass. Let's all, <laughs> let's all turn around and say these old chants from before when things were better and there weren't all these gays everywhere. Uh, and with her comes the sort of, like, don't worry, I will hide all your corruption. Um, and Burial actually has... The way he most reminds me of Francis is the way he's in over his head, right? Like, he just sort of, he does not have the allies he needs in the Cardinals. Uh, He cannot get the reforms he seems to want to pass, right? Like, that feels, that feels shockingly a lot like uh, the Bajoran situation. Um, I actually really admire the, the show's thoughtfulness in thinking about how beautiful a lot of the Bajoran rituals are on the show. Um... I was really struck when we were watching Covenant for this episode that when we go to the the Pa Wraith cult, I really love the touch. I don't think it's ever I don't remember you'll you'll tell me if this is true. Is it ever stated outright or is it just a really cool decision they make that the Pa Wraith cults wear their earring on the other ear? Because I they found just that do. That's yeah. so amazing. And like they're I, red and like they're red crystals yeah. and stuff. Like the idea of being like, I'm not listening at this ear anymore. I'm listening at the left ear. It's just like such a evocative, elegant costuming decision that I find really amazing. Um, Ooh, can we talk about the symbolism of the various Bajoran religious clothing? Like not just the cool hats, but like also the earrings. I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. Oh, yeah. I love the earring. Like the idea that this is how I signal my attentiveness to the words of the prophets, right? The idea of like, I wear on my body the sign that signals my willingness to hear. That's that's really beautiful to me. And the the way the show, like the thing I didn't notice until this episode is that Kira's cast is visible from her earring, right? Like, yeah. mm. um, there's that scene where the, the 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 cafe is full and she's holding her Rottagino and she's like, I guess it's full. And the woman stands up and says, take my seat. Your Dejara is whatever and mine is this. And she gestures at her ear, meaning that simply by looking at Kira, Kira is legible always, apparently has always been legible. We just didn't know here until like season four <laughs> that you can read her place in society on her ear. That to me is really a shockingly beautiful decision to make. Um, I think that we're going to love... need to do like the Deep Space Nine has an ear fetish podcast. 
Oh, yeah. It's it's not only that, but it's like the way that you read somebody's soul and their fate. You read their paw by grabbing their ear. Which just seems so invasive to me. I can't Mm -hmm. even imagine a stranger touching my ear. Which is also how you jerk off a Ferengi. Which right. is I know. So <laughs> um, it's also all my cats want from life, so they have that in common. Uh. <laughs> my cats are like, please, stranger, please touch my ear. Thank you. Not, not, not my stomach, just my ear. Okay. <laughs> um. So that means they're all cats. I understand that now. Yeah, it's it. That is pretty wild. Of course, also they've never you've never heard anybody say to somebody, "Oh, your pot isn't strong." Right? Has there right. ever been a moment where right. weak pot? It's very charming. <laughs> weak pot. I don't know. Moving right along. It's like it's like feeling fruit at the grocery store. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I'm, I really miss um, Wynn's great pointy hat she had when she was a Vedic. That like. She kind of looks like the Sydney Opera House. Like, it's a bunch of forward. <laughs> I love yeah. that one. I like less her, like, doge hat that she wears as the Kai. Like, although it is more, like, popey to kind of look simpler when you're the person in charge, right? Like, cardinals mm-hmm. get their big fancy red dresses and the Pope is just, like, in a much simpler look with the little um, skull cap, right? Um I do like that, but I do I do miss the drama of her Vedic win moment. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do love all of the, like, just sort of, like, one-shot Vedics and how almost all of them are, like, guys in skull caps and beards and you just assume that you should go up to them and ask for your next quest. Um, right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> or there's the step below, the uh, Rangins, the sort of just monk level. Yeah. Where it's just like, it's just some dude who's just like, a, like, I love that irascible one who's like leading him through the Bahala ruins where he's just like, clearly, like, that's the real vibe. Actually, there was one line I really hated in one of the episodes we watched, otherwise a great episode, but Quark says, um, never trust ale from a religious society. It's like, monks make the what? best beer. What are you thinking? <laughs> like, that old man knows how to make a, a killer beer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I I guess that was just lost in their, like, or maybe that's strictly true for humans, you know? Maybe we're the, out. Right. maybe that's not, I don't know. <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> yeah. I do wish we had a little bit more human religion. I do, I I find it, it is a very speaking silence in Deep Space Nine that we get really get no expression of it whatsoever, right? Like, mm. the Cisco's are from New Orleans. Like, it would be nice to have some of that brought up, you know? Like, how mm. does Cisco feel about it in relationship? What did he grow up in? Like, what does his faith look like? Is he just sort of this generic federation secular atheist or is there more there like does anybody have anything to say about this i wish deep space nine did more of that but Mm. i get that we're trying to crack a shell that is like at this point already 30 years old there's a lot of fan conversation too about representing bashir's um muslim heritage Mm. um but it's all, I feel like that was kind of a compromise that was made with the sort of Roddenberry faction is like, okay, we'll engage with religion in a way that we haven't in the past and acknowledge it as a form of diversity and not be bigots about it. But at the same time, there is like this sort of mandate to preserve the Federation and by extension human culture as no longer religious. Yeah, yeah, it. 
it does feel like I feel like maybe we've shifted since then. Like the Discovery did the whole Red Angel storyline. As I mentioned, there are visible Sikh members of um, Starfleet on lower decks, but I'm still, I mean, it's not like I really need the like Jesus episode of Star Trek, you know, like that sounds like a real nightmare actually. (laughs) But (laughs) But no, I mean, I think that's the question. Yeah. Like when you have like religions that are racialized, then it becomes a different, like you, you can't just say, well, you don't have any religion because then you're like, well, thanks for doing the work of Hitler assholes. Yeah. Right. You know, like, which is not the actual point, but by the same token, Oh my god, if there was a fucking Christmas episode of Trek, I would be not amused. <laughs> right? Right. It's hard. Yeah. And at the same time, yeah. Christmas is the kind of tradition that you could imagine surviving a wholesale yeah. cultural secularization. Yeah. That's the truth. Given exactly. All the people because again, Christianity you know? thinks of itself as unmarked, right? Like the Christianity yeah. thinks that it is its practices are somehow a default. And it's like, have you interrogated how that might be so? You know, like... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Is it because you killed everyone? Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah yeah no it's it's very complicated. It, but it, it, is, it is still such a special show that we get to even have all these conversations about religion in, a, in, 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 in space. Um, we haven't talked about the Ferengi... Uh, religion oh, at boy. all yeah the most american of the religions <laughs> yeah. um prescient in some ways i think the the great exchequer like you could imagine some prosperity gospel folks publishing a book called that like next year <laughs> like mm-hmm. it feels like the kind of thing that uh would be very of the moment it's funny uh thinking about for those of you who don't know like w- Quark play, prays to... What, does he pray to it? Why would you describe it exactly? He pray, he prays to the Blessed Exchequer, and he prays by paying it. Right. That's... Yeah. <laughs> I think we have seen those churches operating currently in the American South, right? Like, that's, that's yeah. happening now. Um, it's funny, in general, the way the show really does... Because we're talking about how it's sort of opening the conversation to religion. And it was doing it at this moment when the culture was trying to shut it down, right? Like, I I think a lot about the way we've come out of this sort of Hitchkin's new atheism that was emerging, again, like, around the Iraq war, right? Like, as a kind of way to justify that war, right? Like, mm-hmm. we are the unmarked good secular culture that therefore should make war against this sort of oppressive um, backwards culture, right? And Deep Space Nine was ahead of us on interrogating the problems with that position, even before that position had finished articulating itself, really. That's a great point. Anthony, was there anything else you wanted to bring up and talk about with us? I'm just so thankful that you are doing this show and talking about these things. Because as I said, this is a subject and a a show so dear to my heart. And it's been such a pleasure being here to talk about these things. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. You know, I am truly an honor to have the person who was present for the legendary Strife episode of Cerebro Cast, which is... (laughs) 
<laughs> brought to the world such moments of joy and expressions as I'm you, bitch, which I swear we say with disturbing frequency in my household. Um, you'd be surprised how often that comes up in a conversation, even if you're not taking off your pointy metal helmet right. for a wig reveal. It I just, do. There's I do wonder if this Halloween is finally the year I build that big metal helmet. I do want a pointy helmet. I'm kind of short, so it might be a tough look to pull off so low to the <laughs> ground, but we'll see. That is what heels are for. Yeah. Strife yes. would wear a big platform. I could do that. Yeah. Sure. Strife totally has the same shoes that the members of KISS wear. Absolutely. Like the- exactly. I can do that. Okay. I feel I feel validated thank you validated and affirmed thank you so much mm-hmm. we're here to help <laughs> um so for our listeners to keep up with your work tell us the best place for them to find you online oh uh easiest place to find me is always on twitter where i am too much um uh, twitter.com slash mia koopa bad latin mass joke for you religion fans up there <laughs> m-e-a-k-o-o-p-a i really think it's one of the great handles of the internet <laughs> oh thank you yeah. <laughs> and um and definitely excited to keep listening to your podcasts and interpretations um oh sarah thank you yeah and sarah where i know you're you're not super on twitter but if you want to tell people where they can check out your upcoming is it this, the ice skating thing that's coming? or Well, I am not on Twitter enough for a lot of slaking, but I am occasionally there at Padashah, P-A-S underscore D-E-C-H-A-T. That is also my letterboxed name if you're interested in reading my like three sentence reviews of every movie I watch. Um, <laughs> but my real home on the internet is my blog, thefinersports.com the f-i-n-e-r sports and alana where can the listeners find you on the internet definitely not sharing opinions about other countries that should also be banned um no uh you can find me on twitter all the time unfortunately which is e-l-a-n-a underscore brooklyn i as you have heard i am the host of graphic policy radio um so if you're interested in comics or media that is made about comics this would be a podcast for you to listen to, always interviewing comics artists and writers about their work. And, uh, yeah. So thank you, thank you so much to everybody for listening, and thank you to Anthony Oliveira for, for joining us. And remember, as Odo says, the same way you read a Bajoran's future is the way that you jerk off a Ferengi. <laughs> <laughs>